Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast, brought to you by the Amateur Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined midweek by... This is Dustin Shooty. Dustin, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I'm at Shooty Dustin. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. I usually say and joined on Wednesdays by, but we're recording on Tuesdays because we're trying to get this out a day earlier for people traveling for the upcoming holiday, which is, of course, Thanksgiving. Uh, Big Kurt's favorite holiday, mostly because it uh, revolves around food and alcohol, which I think is the same reason that that most of us love love Thanksgiving. Uh, any big travels that you got to do today, tomorrow, sometime this week? No, I have no big travels coming up. I'm just going to sit at home, stuff myself with some good food, and enjoy a few libations and watch a buttload of football. That's for nice. sure. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, uh, love love the holiday. Um, I was joking with somebody earlier today. It's you know I'm into my 40s. And, but this is like one of the times where I just show up at my, it's at my mom's house this week, this, this year, uh, or my aunt's house or whoever I'm going and they just, they got all the food ready. I might as well be 14 years old, you know, like I'm, I'm bringing pies. That's the only thing I'm bringing. And I bought them from Costco. So that's not even really count for helping, but, um, anyways, so, uh, we're of course starting with the Thanksgiving talk because it's Thanksgiving, but also because Dustin put out a pretty good tweet this week that I thought had some good action to it and of course it, it gets more action than the football takes which is typically how it goes uh but yesterday dustin put a tweet out good morning friends and happy thanksgiving week give me your hottest thanksgiving takes here's mine stuffing sucks okay so that ds got it out um i was a little bit uh i was a little bit liberal with mine i threw a, a bunch of them out there so we'll go by bullet point ds you can tell me when i'm crazy or not but first things first i said uh, dark turkey, far superior than white turkey. Not exactly a hot take, probably. Well, now I'm not. See, I'll eat all. See, I'm weird. I'll eat all kinds of turkey. I agree that it's superior. I don't know if I would put far superior. <laughs> I don't know if I'd put that word in front of it. That's my only. I like to me, it's it's almost like it comes from a different animal altogether. That's what it feels like to me. Like it's juicier. It's got more flavor. Now the next day on a, on a sandwich, you know, for me, like, Oh, just give me some Mayo, a little bit of lettuce, tomato. If you got it, just putting that Turkey sandwich together. That is fantastic. Then the white and dark doesn't, doesn't make quite as much of a difference. Right. I want to say this though. I feel like people get overboard when they start talking about how the next day is better for Thanksgiving food. I love it because you have leftovers and it's all ready to go, but nothing beats that first meal Thanksgiving day when everything's hot, the whole spread is laid out. That is the best part of Thanksgiving. Do you, do you think I'm crazy with that? No, I, I completely agree. Um, to me, I don't, this is maybe this is my weird take. I don't think a lot of Thanksgiving foods are good cold. So to me, the leftover, the leftovers are good for the convenience factor. Like that, to me, yes. what you just said, that is why I love the leftovers. But the hot food straight out of the oven, straight off the stove, that's, to me, that's when the Thanksgiving food is at its best. Absolutely. But you see that take a lot where people are like, oh, the, yeah. the next day or the later that day is the best. I don't completely agree with that. As far as, and let me just t- kind of branch out from the, from the tweet, but I, this is what, what I would say is, 
here's the four things that I absolutely need. It, I know I'm getting them, you know, this week at my mom's place or my aunt's place, but here are the four things that I need to see if I'm in, in like a unfamiliar place, right? Number one, obviously the turkey. Number two, potatoes. One, like preferably, strongly preferably mashed potatoes. Number three, a veggie side of some sort, preferably a corn side. That's that's my Iowa, you know, heritage talking. And then number four, a dessert. Like I need to see the, as long as you give me those four things, I'm going to be happy. After that, what I love to see is variety, you know, so that way that's what I get my first plate. But the second plate back, I might completely mix it up, go a completely different side style of potato. That is what makes a Thanksgiving spread great is when you can mix it up to your second and even third plate because I'm that much of a fat bastard. Okay. Well, I was going to ask, okay, so do you do a little bit and make multiple trips? Yes. Because what I do on Thanksgiving is I load up my plate and there, like, there's no, we have an overboard situation. I've got to create barriers with my hands <laughs> when I walk to the table. Everything's meeting together. They're all getting to know each other on the plate. And I usually, it's like one and a half trips. So mm. I just load it all up. I just get so excited when I see it that I feel like even though it's like usually me and my brother and sometimes my mom and stepdad, um, I feel like it's going to be gone if I don't load up on it. I don't know if that goes back to my childhood. <laughs> so I just put everything on the plate and there's room for nothing. Yeah. my uh, The women in my family always have an abundance of food. I've never known one of our family gatherings to have anything more than, than too much food. Uh, the next takedown is cranberry sauce is trash. I, I, I don't even believe we had cranberry sauce at any point growing up or if we did it was ignored so much to the degree i never ate it and then i had it at like a girlfriend's place and i'm like well that's just that's that's horrible why would anybody eat that yeah i remember it just being on like a small white plate growing up and like it was the canned stuff that just you know makes oh. that sloshy sounds that comes it's right like out Al and looks like alpo coming out of the can <laughs> i feel like i would try some sort of like fresh cranberry sauce i would at least give that a try but the canned stuff, pass. You're that's exactly the right take. Trash. By the way, is it is it meant to be put on dry turkey? Is that the is that the I think so. Okay. So just make a better turkey. There's there's no need. Correct. For, okay. All right. Moving on. Uh pumpkin pie is amazing. Dot dot dot. As long as it's drenched in cool whip. Yeah, I would I think pumpkin pie is okay if it's drenched in cool whip. I don't think it's in, in the amazing category. I'm a pecan pie fan myself, personally. Hey, the two pies I'm bringing back from Costco are one pumpkin and one pecan. So I, I am with you there. Uh, but but I would, like, the only time you eat pumpkin pie all year long is Thanksgiving yeah. and maybe Christmas. Um, I'm also a big Coot Whip person, not just because I like saying it, like Stewie, but because I think Ready Whip is a strong step down from Cool Whip. Personally, yeah, uh, okay. Yes, I agree. Yep. Okay, good. All right, all right. Pumpkin pie, by the way, it 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 puts people on a fence. There are people that absolutely hate pumpkin pie. Yeah, there are. I've I've noticed that that was a that was a big take. Was that a lot of people hated pumpkin pie in response yeah. to this tweet? And uh, so okay, here's here's a, I'm going to interject one thing really quick. Um, you have to have pecan and pumpkin pie. If one of those is replaced with a fruit pie, is it a disaster of a Thanksgiving? My take is yes. I'm with you. Uh, okay. Cherry pie or apple apple pie? That's that's summer, man. You know that's right. Fourth of July. Maybe Christmas with the cherry pie. You get a little bit of a red in there. 
I'm with you there. Keep that, that we need bland fruits, you know, the, because I I believe pumpkin is actually technically a fruit. If you look it up, Um, I don't think it's a vegetable. I'm pretty sure I heard that somewhat recently and pecan is obviously, and by the way, did you know pecan is like basically the fattiest, unhealthiest nut you can find? Hence the reason why it it works so well in a pie. Um, Next take up was the NFL games are typically boring. You know, that's just a shot at the NFL. I like when I wish there was two, or, or three college games on there. And on, yes. so I could actually choose college. Here's the hottest take that I had drinking alcohol ruins the overall experience of the day. Oh my God. DS just about broke his neck, shaking his head at me right now. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, well, we'll get to the uh, backpedaling you did short late later down the list. On this. <laughs> I did. I did. But uh, so, okay. This is why I think that this is a wrong take. Now I don't, I know a lot of people traditional, sometimes they don't offer alcohol. It's like a lemonade, iced tea, water type of holiday, whatever. But if I'm drinking, usually that creates, it breaks down the food. It creates more space in my stomach and then I'm able to eat more. So I think it enhances it because I'm we able got to di- We got different stomachs in my gut. Do we I really? <laughs> so I, I, when I backpedaled, I'll say this, like when I, I'm just going to go ahead and admit this. This will probably take away a little teeny portion of my man card, but that's okay because the rest of my man card is strong enough. I just don't like eating food with beer. It just has yeah. never appealed to me. Okay, so you agree with I, that? I'm I'm on I'm with you on that. The only except the I, there's three exceptions: burgers, pizza, and wings. I can drink beer with that, but anything else I cannot drink beer with with other food. Those are the three best ones. Three best foods to, to, but they're still, it still does not jive with me. The only one that I could get with is wings because sure. the wings just slide down. You need something to cool, cool down. Um, so what I backpedal is when somebody said not even red wine. And I said, yes, actually. But here's the thing I'm getting at is like you walk in and, you know, one of your uncles or your cousins is just swilling Miller light. And I just think to myself, yeah. like, aren't you filling yourself up and, you're voiding out space available space in your stomach that should be filled with nothing more than carbs that you're going to put down. Like that just blows my mind that people can just like throw down beers while they're eating food like that. It just doesn't make sense to me. See, now, see, okay. So beer's a different story because I agree with you in that it fills me up if okay. I drink a beer, but if I have like a little snifter or a cocktail of with whiskey or gin or something, okay. I could have that giant plate in which I said, in which I've created the barriers with my hands and everything. And then <laughs> half the, an hour later. So the, so the drink's already on the table because you wouldn't have enough. You, you don't have enough hands to be able to, to, to carry the, all that back. And the drink might be in my stomach by that time. <laughs> but I could have a meal, drink it, drink the, uh, the bourbon or gin or whatever I'm drinking. And then a half an hour later, I swear to God, I'll load up another plate. Like this is mm-hmm. why I have to drink late at night because I will eat the everything out of my pantry. Okay. So okay. that's where I, I stand on it. I, I would like the most I'm going to do is a couple gla- swigs of wine. But if you drink too much and too much food, the coma, the food coma is coming already. But then you yeah. wake up in the late afternoon, you might be half hung over. Like, I don't want to deal with that. Like the first alcoholic drink I'm going to have is later on in the afternoon, you know, to stay up, you'll be able to, I don't know. That's, that's overall what I meant by that and why I backpedaled. There's only so many, you know, uh, characters on the, on those tweets that you can get the stuff out. Last thing I want to say is sweet potatoes are trash. Every single person. I just did not grow up in a sweet potato family. I'm dead serious. 
I didn't even know sweet potatoes existed until I swear I was in college or maybe beyond. And everybody always has this sweet potato recipe that, oh, trust me, Jeff, you are going to like the sweet potato recipe. And every single time I have to act like it's better than the ones I had before. But every single time it's, it's just not good. Like to me, potatoes are supposed to be sweet. It's in the same category of not putting pineapple on your pizza. It's two worlds colliding that I don't want the texture, everything. Anyways, I wanted to get that off my chest. I know that's a big, big, important thing. I agree with you. And we can end on this. Uh, one time I'm with you on the sweet potato. Here's a quick story. Nice. Um, I was also in college when I found out that sweet potatoes were a thing. I don't know if that I w- I took a girl on a date to the zoo and it's a good date idea. You, you could feed the giraffes. What I thought were just chopped up carrots. I was like, Oh, these giraffes really love these carrots. And she was like, these are sweet potatoes. You <laughs> See, here's the deal. Sweet potatoes, yams. I can't tell the difference between those, but you, you put a big, you know, you know, uh, a Yukon gold potato in front of me. I know what it yes, is. A red exactly. potato. Like it, it's, it's a potato. I know how to cook it. I know how to manipulate it. These freaking sweet potatoes and yams can't tell the difference. There has to be something with, I mean, you're, you grew up in Indiana. I grew up in Iowa. My guess is a lot of Minnesota and Nebraska people, you know, like the heart of the heartland. I think that's more potato based, but, but sweet potatoes are more Southern based. I think there's something to that. Isn't there? I, I, I think so because I, I don't even think I tried a sweet potato until it was like at a barbecue place down in the South. Okay. And it was, it was like a tater tot sweet potato. And it was one of the few, uh, sides that I could actually stomach at this gotcha. particular place. So that like, I don't even think I, I learned about sweet potatoes in college. And then uh, I ate one probably when I was 29 or 30 was the first time I actually tried one. Yeah. And maybe at that point you're so set in your ways for what ways, a potato yeah. is supposed to taste like. I don't know. All right. Well, that was a fantastic uh, turkey talk right there. So moving on to the football. Yes. We'll talk about football. The first two things I would say is just, to talk about the races, I mean, we still have five teams that are available uh, to make it to Indianapolis and technically be Big Ten champions. Obviously, in the East, it's Michigan and Ohio State. I mean, it's the biggest game of the year. We'll, we'll end the podcast talking about that. An article I read this week on The Athletic, which was good, um, uh, unfortunately, is by Andy Staples, but that's okay. Uh, essentially, he made a good argument, and I agree with him, that the best thing for the Big Ten and, and certainly Ohio State fans do not want to hear this. Michigan State fans probably don't want to hear this. But the best thing for the Big Ten would be if Michigan won this game in a classic. Uh, that's going to open up the door for two things. Number one, it slows the dominance of Ohio State over the rest of the Big Ten down again. That's not as big a deal to me, but the other big deal is it is the best chance that the Big Ten would have with getting two teams into the college football playoff because Ohio state obviously has a much better resume to get into the playoff. If they're the ones that, that finishes the year at 11 and one. Yeah. I mean, because Ohio state has that non-conference win over Notre Dame and whether that's a great win or not, it's certainly better than anything Michigan did in the non-conference. I mean, that's, if you, if it gets nitpicky, then yes, um, that's what you want. You want Michigan to win it close you want Ohio State to have a strong showing because that's the best way that the Big Ten can get two teams in. And you, it, as a Big Ten fan, it would be cool. But at the same time, I am if TCU remains undefeated and USC with that one loss, 
I got to tell you, I am fine with four different conferences getting yes. in. Perfectly fine with four different conferences. Not seeing a potential rematch between Michigan and Ohio State. That would mean that this the game could be determined the, the potential national champion. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and I think we kind of talked about in the previous podcast. I know this pisses off Ohio State and Michigan fans. I, I'm sorry. Like, don't get me wrong. I would be perfectly happy with seeing two Big Ten teams in. Yeah especially if that means there's two Big Ten teams in and only one SEC team, that would be phenomenal. I might even say that that would be my number one option that would I, that I would want to see. However, right now, four different champions from four different conferences would be absolutely incredible. Variety is the spice of life. We would get a touch of that. To the point where, dude, I'm a USC fan. I want to see USC beat Notre Dame, and I because I after seeing Caleb Williams uh, last weekend, I mean, the dude is a wizard. Like, I think he, you know, could put up a lot of points on anybody. I would like to see that matchup. So, no offense, Buckeye and Ohio State fans, you got your day in the sun big time on Saturday. But th- that's one time where I would like to see a, maybe a little bit of variety. Onto the Big Ten West, uh, three teams still in contention with Illinois, Iowa. And Purdue, something I found interesting is they have all got almost eerily similar competition that they're going up against this weekend in that all three of these teams are rivals to them. Yet in each instance, the team that's favored to get to Indianapolis is favored by almost the exact same spread. I was favored by 10 and a half. Illinois is favored by 14 and Purdue is favored by 10 and a half. So what is interesting is... Vegas is saying that those three teams are going to win out and that's how the race is, is going to go. And it very well, very well may work out like that. The other thing I would just say though, too, is probably the one that people feel the least confident about is Iowa losing to Northwestern and Purdue losing to Indiana that Illinois gets in. I'm just saying that scenario happening is not nearly as crazy as I feel like big 10 fans are giving it credit for I don't think so either, um, especially when you look at, at what happened last week. And we, and we could probably talk about this stuff when we get into the, the dissection of each of these games. But I, there, it's college football. Crazier things have happened. And I feel like last week there was a lot of talk about this is kind of a ho-hum slate. It was easily the most entertaining weekend Bingo. I think we've had in, in college Bingo. football. Who's to say that can't happen in consecutive weekends? And I'm just saying, like, I know Illinois fans, they're, they're suddenly a lot more quiet the last couple of weeks than they have been before that. Iowa, to a certain degree, if you remember last year, was kind of counted out. And then all of a sudden they beat uh, Nebraska. Minnesota stuns Wisconsin. They're sent off to Indianapolis. It's not the exact same scenario here with Illinois, but it could be kind of close. Like the game that I feel the most confident about not to foreshadow things here is that Illinois would beat Northwestern. I just don't think it's crazy that Iowa or Purdue get upset from what we've kind of seen from all the teams involved in those games. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to set up the suspense a little bit for how I think these games are going to go, but there is potential for some craziness at even at the the 13th week, the last week of the season here. Yeah, I think so too. And that's what makes this so exciting. And that's why that's why you love the rivalries because you can you can legitimately throw the records out and there's a lot at stake here. So that's why that's why it, it wouldn't be the craziest thing. And I I do agree with you. I I think of the of those three games, the most confident you have to be as an Illinois to 
probably beat Northwestern, right? <laughs> I think so. And the yeah. only thing I wish I could change about this, I wish they were all being played at 11 o'clock or 2.30 yeah. because Iowa has the ability to spoil it all, you know, for both teams involved because if Iowa wins, they're in. Um, obviously, as an Iowa fan, I hope they spoiled it all, but trying to look at it from a more, you know, holistic college football uh, fan point of view, that would be something that's fun to see. Last thing I want to point out, Kurt and I want to rectify this because we feel awful that we didn't mention this in the last podcast. And since we're still on a little bit of an Iowa, a big, a big 10 West topic, Iowa and Minnesota last week played a penalty free football game. The first time that has happened since 1986, we at least got to bring it up. That's, that's freaking incredible. That I went through the stat sheet and I was like, it's like one of those things where you you see it and then you don't believe it. And then I'm thinking back like through the entire 60 minutes of that game. And I'm like, I don't remember any penalties. Like right. it was, And then I saw I saw the stat put out there first time since 1986. Uh, could, look, Big Ten football, no penalties, ground and pound, smash mouth football like that. That's what football is all about. And in, in 10 degree weather, you know, exactly. Like we pointed out in the podcast, the hot breath, you know, hanging yeah. in the air. I mean, it's as good as it gets. The funny thing is, is at halftime, Kurt and I were talking, he goes, I don't think there was a penalty in the first half. I go, no, there had to have been a penalty. And I'm like, no, I don't remember one. So we even pointed out at halftime, completely forgot to bring it up after the game. And then, you know, the next day we're recording the pod. So anyways, wanted to bring that up. All right. We got the turkey talk. We got the setup for the games this weekend. Anything else before we get into the games? I'm ready to dive in. All right, let's do it. All 14 teams in action. No idle weeks, of course. First game up is on Black Friday, which is Friday, November 25th. The 3-8 and eight Nebraska Cornhuskers traveling into Kinnick to take on the 7-4 and four Iowa Hawkeyes. This is a 3 o'clock p.m. game on Big Ten Network. Line Hawks by 10 and a hook over under 38.5. Not... Not only is that not the lowest line this week for Iowa, it's the it's the third. There's two other games that are lower than Iowa this week. That's crazy right there. So Vegas is saying something like 24 to 14 Iowa. Um, yeah. Uh, what you got here, Dustin? What are you looking for? I wanted to give like a little golf clap for that not being the lowest spread of the of the weekend. I think that's a that's a big I, step. Right? It's got to be the first one this this year that's not the lowest that I was involved in. I swear. We, when you sent me that sheet, I was thinking, how you know, has Iowa been part of like every one of the lowest spreads this week? It's got to be close if it's if it's not. Pretty sure um, they have. So yep. probably so. Yeah. Um. Very interesting. Uh. So looking back, I know not a not a big trends guy, but each of the last four games, obviously won by Iowa by a single possession. So even though Nebraska hasn't been particularly good, Iowa's you know gone to Indianapolis. They've had a couple ten win seasons in there played really well. This has been a hard fought game. Um, the thing I'm very concerned about though, in their last four games, uh, Nebraska has not scored more than 14 points. And now you're going to go up against the best defense, arguably in the big 10, certainly the best defense they've played. Um, I, I guess you could put Michigan in that category. Um, so to me, this is a, I think Nebraska is going to come out fighting. This is probably Mickey Joseph's last game as the interim head coach. Maybe he sticks around on the staff. Maybe he doesn't. They've got to try to get some things going offensively. I just feel like this is going to be maybe a situation where Nebraska tries to force too much and plays right into Iowa's hand. I think Iowa is going to create some turnovers in this game um, and really get good field position. So 
that to me is the, the thing that I think is going to be the story of this game. Can Nebraska convert on some of those big plays early in the game? If not, I, I don't trust their defense. I don't trust their special teams. I think Iowa can take advantage with their defense in this one early on. Um, yeah, so Iowa's got all the motivation in the world for this game. They win. They are in Indianapolis. They're going for their eighth win in a row in the series, which if I'd have told any Nebraska fans eight years ago that we're going to win the next eight games, they would have tried to have me committed. Um, and I think you, you you hit on the thing that I just keep saying because it just keeps being true. I trust the Iowa defense so much. Uh, for Hawkeye fans, it's just like a, a warm, cozy blanket, right? Um, and then you also got uh, Iowa special teams, which are just seem to be a, a notch above everybody. By the way, um, um, Tory Taylor being left off the Ray guy list, I I don't even want to think about it because it pisses me off so much. But I digress. Um, but the special teams, including Tory Taylor, are going to be a huge deal. As far as what gives me concern for for Nebraska. It's two things like I believe their front seven on defense is a little bit better since Bill Bush took over as defensive coordinator than maybe even the, the stats bore out. They have made Illinois and Michigan and Wisconsin work for it a little bit. You know, they didn't just get mowed over like we saw at the beginning of the year at times. So they're going to make Iowa work for it for running the ball. And then on the other side, I mean, it's Casey Thompson and the YOLO shots, you know, like to, to and if you think about this, I, I, I was excited to bring this point up to just see what your thoughts were. But in the games where Iowa has struggled with Purdue, a lot of it has been when Il Purdue didn't even try to run the ball, which sounds a lot like Whipple, but they threw up the YOLO shots to a ultra talented wide receiver named the, you know, the, the Purdue wide receiver. We don't we kind of have that exact same thing here with how uh, uh, Whipple ca calls a game and tossing them up to Trey Palmer. This could be one of those deals where Trey Palmer just proves to be that talented and kind of gets past the Phil Parker Parker defense. It's just that weird X and O mismatch type of thing. No, that's a good point and something I hadn't thought of yet. I, if I was Mark Whipple, I would probably be looking at some of those Purdue film from from previous seasons because they did have a lot of success there. Um, and it, I mean, that that's a great point because the funny thing is, is that we've talked about and you and big Kurt talked about frequently, you know, Nebraska needs to run the damn ball and they're there. Uh, that has gone away since Scott Frost got fired, but I think you're right. I think in this game, if you can find some holes in the past defense and be a little bit more unique in that style, maybe it plays into your advantage because that's that's how Purdue beat Iowa. That's that is probably the best way that Nebraska can beat them. Yeah. I just, but I at the think, same time, this is what makes it interesting. Now right. you're throwing into the strength of the Iowa defense, and they cause interceptions, and maybe you get blown out. But at this point, why do, why would you care? You know, like why would you care right. if you lost the game by by three or twenty three? Because I don't think Iowa is capable of beating somebody by forty points just go for the win right here. That's why I think it makes Nebraska dangerous. And I don't know if you went back and watched that, the, the replay of the Minnesota, I uh, yeah, Minnesota, Iowa game on, on Fox, but Tim Brando brought something up that I, I just keep thinking about. I've thought about it for days now um, is that at one point in the game, late in the game, he said, well, unless it, you know, Minnesota's driving here, we'll see if Iowa gets a turnover. And then obviously the, the, which should have been a pick six. And he's like, 
it's just what Iowa does. Like right. you, you can actually put faith in it. There's some teams where, you know, it just becomes a little bit of a, um, a trend or you, you expect it to go away with Iowa. It hasn't gone away for two, at least two seasons now, maybe even three. three so I, I think that, that's I think that's a factor. I think Iowa's defense, and I don't trust Casey Thompson and Trey Palmer and Mark Whipple quite as much as I would Jeff Brom in the Purdue offense. So that's what gives me pause on the Nebraska side of things. Go ahead. So I've got uh, Iowa 23, Nebraska 10. That's an Iowa covering at 33. That's an under. We're pretty darn close. Um, yeah, a lot of things you hit on right there. You know, I do think there will be some shots that Nebraska will successfully take. I don't trust Nebraska's offensive line for an entire game to keep Casey Thompson upright. I hope Casey Thompson is healthy by the end of this game. Um, he certainly gives them a shot, but I just, again, I just trust so much in Ohio, in uh, Iowa's defense. I don't think Iowa will run the ball at will at Nebraska. Like there seems to be a lot of Iowa fans that believe will happen. I would love to see it. I just don't see it, but I think there will be enough in the rushing attack, but not enough in the passing attack, especially with, by the way, Sam Laporta being out of this game, which concerns me a great deal. So in the end, it's going to look a lot like a lot of Iowa games have looked this year, uh, but a little bit more stressful than I think Iowa fans want it to be. I've got Iowa 20, Nebraska 13. So that is a Nebraska cover. And also at 33, I got that going under. All right, moving into Saturday, uh, the November 26th, the four and seven Rutgers Scarlet Knights at the six and five Maryland Terrapins. This is an 11 o'clock a.m. game on Big Ten Network line. Turfs by 14 over under 49. Vegas is saying 31 to 17. What are you looking for here? Uh, Mike Loxley to just let it rip. We've talked about this all season long and the fact that they really haven't had that offensive explosion yet. And this actually might be their best chance to do it because I, as as much as we've talked about Rutgers defense being underrated, I think they're exhausted. I mean, I think Penn state's uh, offense, their rushing attack really exposed that last week. And so you're six and five. If you're Maryland, this is a, I guess you could call it a quasi. It feels like it's a big 10 forced rivalry basically. Yep. Um, so a, a quasi rivalry. I just think if, if you're Mike Loxley in this game, there's nothing really at stake here other than to get to seven wins Go out and just sling it. Let let Talia Tungavailoa do his thing. Um, take advantage. I, I just think that they're going to have success because I really think Rutgers' defense has had to be on the field so much this season that they're just worn down to a point. Uh, and then the offense, is it's not been good. They were creative in that Michigan State game a few weeks ago, but I, yep. I just don't see enough to, to penetrate this Maryland defense. Yep, it's tough. I mean, I guess technically, you know, chip chair and a chance. Rutgers is still playing for a bowl game. I mean, they got into a bowl game with a five and seven record last year, but the from the numbers I've seen, I don't think that's going to be possible. There is a there's always a pride factor with Shiano. Like you think yeah. that his teams are cut out. So that is definitely something that weighed in my head when I looked at this game. Uh, but in the end, I just I don't think the offense is there enough yet with Wimsat and what they're trying to, to get figured out to keep up with Maryland. So at that point, and I think Maryland's getting a little bit healthier. I think they just looked better last week because of health O-line and, and Leah Tonga Viola. Um, I think they'll give up some plays to Rutgers because that's kind of what the Maryland defense has wound up being. But I kind of see this as both teams moving the ball at first and then Maryland just kind of outpacing them and putting up more points in the end. So I've got Maryland 35 
Rutgers 17. So that's a Maryland cover. And at uh, 52 points, I got that going over. So we're pretty damn much close. locked up right there. The yeah, Eyes of Big Podcast close. is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel agent technique creates unique characteristics in each barrel that produce one-of-a-kind whiskeys. Amador is made to be sipped neat or is perfect for classic bourbon cocktails. Just like your favorite go-to Big Ten football podcast, Amador is the go-to whiskey this football season. Don't forget to hashtag Ask for Amador and check out our new website and finder options so you can see where to find Amador at www.amadorwhiskeyco.com. Amador Whiskey Company, born in Kentucky, raised in California. Moving on to the afternoon, the Land of Lincoln Trophy, or as the fans call it, the LOL Trophy. I think it's a hat. I don't know. Didn't spend a lot of time looking that up. Usually I have Kurt for that stuff. Uh, the 7-4 and four, Illinois Fighting Illini coming into Evanston to take on the 1-10 and 10 Northwestern Wildcats. 2.30 p.m. game on BTN line Illinois by 14 over under 38. So Vegas is saying something like 26 to 12. I like to give the actual numbers when Northwestern's involved. 26 to 12. DS, what do you got here? Well, I I think on this front, I think this might be more of an emotional game for Illinois um, because they've lost a couple in a row because of everything that Brett Bielema and I mean, major shout out to him after that game against Michigan. I mean, that had to be the toughest press conference he's ever done. As former member of the media, like I just appreciate him going there with. I, he could have, you know, laid into the media, laid into everybody. I just a lot of respect for what he did. And he went into it. He fought for his players throughout the course of that game to the media. He did it on Twitter. I just think that Illinois is going to come out and play with a lot of intensity. I think it's going to be pissed off. This is one of those games where I, I feel like you can almost throw a lot of the X's and O's out because I think this is a pride game for Illinois. They can get to eight wins. They're they're hanging on to their Big Ten West hopes by a thread, and you get a chance to beat a rival in back-to-back games. Um, and, and they're not. And Northwestern has really shown no promise except for in bad weather games. So to me, I think. I put the X's and O's aside. I think that that Brett Bielema, if he had, he's already won over his team. Um, so I don't want to give the impression that I don't think that that was the case. I just think he took it to an entirely other level last weekend, and I think you're going to see a team that plays really hard, plays really well, and uh, just takes it to takes it to Northwestern this weekend. Yeah, and shout out again to Brett Bielma. Um, lost his mom, uh, Marilyn, earlier or last week. I, I know that the funeral was this week, so very tough week for for Brett Bielma. Hopefully, he was able to, you know, find focus back. I'm sure he wanted to get back to his his team and get back to work. Hopefully, this will be something that will you know be able to get him to focus on something a little different. Um, you know, possible buzzkill for Illinois if Iowa wins the day before. I think if that happens, that would favor my chances of Northwestern covering because it could just be a lethargic Illinois team. And they're playing on the road, not far, obviously, but they have to go on the road, play in the, you know, knee-high thick grass that, you know, that Northwestern is going to put out there just to kind of slow down this game. I think the weather is mostly supposed to be fine, but I think there's going to be a little bit of a wind, which could, again, just kind of knock things down. But in the end, it's just how do you pick Northwestern to win this game? You know, like the only reason you pick Northwestern to win this game is because college football is nuts. And that could be it. You know, that, 
that might be enough that something goes wrong in this game, but that's literally what I'm trying to find. I think the stat line will look like it always does for Northwestern. Evan Hall have about 100 yards of total offense. Some quarterbacks going to roll out there. Might who knows? It could, we, it could be a brand new quarterback that plays for Northwestern. We don't even know. He'll have minimal success throwing the ball, and it just kind of will be what it will be. If Chase Brown is even remotely healthy, I think the rushing attack is going to look great versus that Northwestern front seven. In the end. It, it's just going to be kind of the game you expect, which is Illinois to win the game, but maybe just not as classy of a win as you might think it would be. So I've got Illinois 23, Northwestern 10. So that's an ever so slight Northwestern cover. And at 33 points, I got that going under. So before I give my prediction, just one thing. I, when I watched that Purdue Northwestern game, Fitz was smiling. Like, I think he's getting some younger guys on the field and trying to have as much fun as possible. So maybe there's a little bit of momentum for Northwestern. But at the end of the day, I've got Illinois 27, Northwestern 6. So that's an Illinois cover. And at 33, that's an under. So we got the same game total. You got Northwest or Illinois cover. And I'm, I mean, I, I purposely went very close on that to signal that I don't feel great about it. There's just something in my head. That's like, it could be close. Speaking of close, the, the series record in this game, I believe you had that stack. Can you give that to us right now? Yes. The, the all time is 56, 54 and five. The Illini lead the series. That is insane. Incredible. And, it's incredible for two reasons to me. Number one, how close it is. We got another one. We're going to talk about how close that is too. The other one, the other part that's crazy is I would have thought Illinois had a much bigger lead yes. in that series because of how putrid Illinois was. And you know, another kind of thing, that's not a lot of games. Those two have played. I mean, an in-state rival in conference, you would almost think there would be more one, than that. Yeah. one fifteen, something like that would be the total. Wait, what, what was it again? 56 okay that's not that's not bad at all my bad I, I I heard a different number there but yeah anyways sur- was surprised when you provided that stat because of how close it was right yeah Northwestern closed a lot of closed that they, gap quite a bit in the last 15 to 20 <laughs> years or so all right next game up the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe the oldest and most played rivalry in college football. If you go to this game, history you are a part of history every time you are sitting in the stands. I mean, I think that's reason as any to go to this game at some point in your lifetime. The 7-4 and four Minnesota Golden Gophers traveling down 94, I-94 to go to Madison to take on the 6-5 and five Badgers. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on ESPN line Badgers by 3.5 over under 36, one of the lines that's under the Iowa game. So Vegas is saying something like 20 to 16 Badgers. So the record for this game, 131 games played. It sits right now at 62, 61, and 8 Wisconsin. That is like, it's just insane that they have been playing that long. And after all this time, they are as close to being even as humanly possible. I can't, it's I like, I've known that stat for a couple of years and it's always been kind of like that close, but it still shocks me every time. Like every it, year when I see the numbers, it's just it's, how, it's incredible. how close it is. You mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing to point out, you know, kind of like we just pointed out before, obviously Minnesota had a gargantuan lead in this series at some yeah. point. Along came Barry Alvarez and that thing, you know, got closed up in a hurry. And right as it gets closed up, in comes PJ to make this, you know, game a little bit more competitive. It's just something that adds a little fire to it. 
both Wisconsin and Minnesota, they're out of the Big Ten title hunt. Does that take a little something away from this game? You know, I, I think it does, but this is good old-fashioned hate. These teams, like, there's some rivalries that are born from something else but don't necessarily permeate all the way into the players and the coaches. This one does. These these fan bases and the players and coaches do not like each other. There's some good old-fashioned hate going on here. I think we're going to get some good emotion when this game kicks off. When it does kick off, what are you looking for here, Diaz? Yeah, it's it's this is always one of my favorite games to watch on Rivalry Week. Um just because of the history, because of I it's just it's just fun. I mean, I don't know how else to explain. It's just fun. Um, one of the things I think is interesting about this game, one of the side bets is what's going to be higher, the 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 game point total or the number of total passes thrown in this game. <laughs> because I saw uh, – so here's the stat that I want to bring up because right now I don't think you can put trust in either quarterback that's playing in this game. Wisconsin is 2-5 and five when Graham Mertz throws 20-plus passes in a game, and one of those wins is against Northwestern. So – but basically one in five, he could have thrown zero or a hundred passes. They would have beat Northwestern. They are four and oh, when he throws 19 or fewer. Hmm. Hmm. So okay. I, it, this is I, the brief, the brief note I had is this could be Iowa, Minnesota part two. It, it really could. And that's why I put it out that, you know, everybody making fun of the Iowa, Minnesota under, and I felt like we're given most of the, you know, heat and in, in, in the, the making fun part of that to Iowa. I was like, maybe you want to check out the Minnesota Wisconsin under, and it 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 actually was a little bit under that at some point, uh, or at one point. And the same with the passing uh, comment that you just made. The note I have is one team refuses to throw the ball, which is Minnesota, and one team should refuse <laughs> to throw the ball <laughs> in in Wisconsin. So I think it plays into what you're saying. Uh, the recipe for Minnesota is the same thing we've been saying: mo and mo, mo. That's what they want to do in this game. But man, I know that was an amazing career game for Mo. There is no besmirching of Mo here on this podcast. I have nothing but respect for that guy and always have. But he's got to be a little tuckered out, yeah. right? And then you go against a Wisconsin defense that's not set up like Iowa's. I, I, Some of the stuff in the inside zone that Minnesota could do against Iowa, I'm not saying it's not going to be there at all versus Wisconsin, but I think Wisconsin is going to make Minnesota work for those passing yards even more than than what people realize, or the rushing yards, excuse me, even more than what people realize. Yeah, I, I mean, that was a big thing that I thought about too. When he had nearly 40 carries in that game, and you saw it start to wear down at the end of that game, that dude doesn't fumble very often, and he coughed it up late in that game. Um, I do wonder about, are we going to... I don't think Minnesota's not going to steer away from the rushing attack. And Mo, for at least a period of that game, is going to look like Mo. But how much do they incorporate Bryce Williams or Trey Potts? I think that's going to be a big factor in this game. If they can keep fresh legs, I actually think they can put some pressure on the Wisconsin defense. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to erupt for 27, uh, 27 points or, or rush for um, you know rush for 400 yards. But I think they can put pressure on them and kind of wear down that Wisconsin defense. And I mean, Wisconsin's going to do the same thing. The, the, I think what we have learned from these two quarterbacks, in my opinion, is that Graham Mertz has the capability to hit big plays. He's just not very consistent or very good at it. He has that capability. Ethan Kalak Manis, I don't, uh, he, he does not have that ability and he doesn't really have a receiver outside of Brevin Span Ford to trust to do that. So to me, I'm looking at this game like 
Can Minnesota create some turnovers when Wisconsin does go to the air? Because otherwise, I feel like this is a Spider-Man meme. Both teams are going to try to rush the ball 50 times and only throw when they have to. So to me, it comes down to can Minnesota's defense create some turnovers or does Graham Mertz take advantage of a big play here or two and that make the difference in the game? There you go. I mean, it's all those things. This is this this. There's all kinds of Spider-Man memes. There's Spider-Man memes going on between these two teams. There's a Spider-Man meme going on between this game and what the Minnesota Iowa game look like. Which means I could say the exact same thing I did last week, which is this game is going to be won or lost in the ledgers, which is typically a big special teams play or turnovers. With that being said, Graham Burtz will turn the ball over. I, I just he does it. That's what that's what he does. There is a an ill-advised throw every single game that'll get picked off. So I'm just going to assume that's going to happen and it's going to lead to a Minnesota score in some capacity. I just don't know if Minnesota can do enough with it right now. I don't know what they trust in the throw game. PJ just, I mean, if he could sign up for not throwing the ball in this game and get the win, I mean, obviously if he knows he's going to go to the win, he's going to do it, but he like, he's just adverse. He's, he is a is risk adverse in the throw game. And I'm not 100% sure where you attack this Wisconsin defense, but so so it's I don't see a lot of good options here on on offense, especially if we think Mo is just a little tired. I'm not saying not effective, right. just maybe not as good as he was last week. So that's kind of the game I see. By the way, side note, I'm a little bit nervous about Minnesota's psyche in this game. I I'm going off of a couple conversations with Gopher fans, DMs and texts, listening to podcasts, comments from the players and coaches. I'm honestly kind of shocked at how much they took that Iowa loss to heart. I'm not saying it's not something that shouldn't bother the hell out of them, but like you still got another game here. And I feel like they've dwelled on it more in, in verbal speaking than they should, you know, and I think that's going to play into this game as well. So I'll go ahead and jump in. The line kind of surprised me at first. I thought this was maybe a, the better team isn't favored in this, but the more I thought about it and all of the things I've got Wisconsin 17, Minnesota 16. So I still got the Minnesota cover, but I got Wisconsin winning the game. And at 33 points, I got that going under the game total. I think it's going to be what you talked about. I think Graham Mertz is going to make one too many mistakes in this game. So I have Minnesota 20, Wisconsin 17. So that's obviously a Minnesota cover and then a very so slight over. There's our diversion. We do it once a game. Next game up, the 7-4 and four Purdue Boilermakers traveling into Hoosier land to take on the Indiana Hoosiers. I set that up bad. 4-7, and 2.30 uh, p.m. game on Big Ten Network. Line Boilermakers by 10 and a hook. Over under 54, so Vegas is saying something like 31 to 21 Boilermakers. Here we go. It's uh, it's a game that Purdue's playing in where the other team does not have a number by it, so it makes you a little bit scared on what Boilermaker team we're going to get. With that being said, Jeff Brom has handled business pretty well in this, in this rivalry. Yeah, he has. And so before I jump into this, I want to bring this up because this is the best time to do it. So... Of the six of the seven rivalry games we have this weekend, six of them, the the win loss is within ten, which I think is pretty unique to the Big yeah. Ten. Like I, the winning percentage, this is the this is the uh, outlier of the group because Purdue owns a seventy five forty two to six advantage. Wow! I uh, saw so, yeah, Indiana could win this game for three straight decades and they still wouldn't catch up. So, um, that's just one fact I thought was fascinating in doing some yeah, of this research. For sure, I think. 
I think this game, if Iowa beats Nebraska, I kind of worry about what you just talked about with Minnesota, their psyche, because they just saw their Big Ten West bubble popped. So you kind of want, and it's a full day. It's not like it's an hour where you can shield them from the television or social media or whatever the case might be. This is a full day. They're going to know the circumstance heading into this game. So that's mindset is going to be huge for me. I think I, I think if if Nebraska beats uh, Iowa, I think you're going to see a very uh, determined, convinced team. But I tell you what, what I saw last week out of Indiana for Tom Allen to rally those troops 24 to seven at halftime trailing. They look like they had no motivation. It was sail it in for the end of the season. I think one of maybe his top five coaching jobs while at Indiana, because they had nothing to play for and they came back, won a rivalry game. If they can come back after being God awful for however many weeks, seven straight weeks, and then get back to back wins and rivalry games over Michigan state and Purdue, we are talking about a completely different off season for Indiana. So I do think there's some motivation there. We saw a little bit of Dexter Williams. He only threw seven passes, but he gives their offense a little bit something different. I think he can maybe trip up that Purdue defense. I think Indiana can be unique on the offensive side here. So this is, I think this is secretly going to be a really interesting game because Indiana has a little confidence. They've got something a little bit different at quarterback that Purdue hasn't seen much of, maybe since they played, um, maybe since they played Syracuse. So I'm really interested to see. I think there's going to be a lot of points actually on the board in this one. Yeah, we're seeing the same thing. One of the notes I have written down is, did Indiana do nothing more than confuse me on what I'm supposed yeah. to expect out of this game? Because you, I, I definitely agree Dexter Williams is, he's a fun person to suddenly watch in Big Ten play right now to see his athleticism. But like the, the passing numbers were so bad last week. And, and you look at the total stats and you're like, but it was the same Indiana team that we've yeah. seen for the past five or six weeks. I just don't know how they wound up winning the game. So I, I am so confused on how I'm supposed to project it into this game. Is it the same Indiana game that if they hadn't beat Michigan State, I would have chose Purdue to walk away with this game? Or is it a suddenly kind of resurgent Indiana team that's kind of found something with Dexter Williams? Like, honestly... This game kind of scares me a little bit. I told you before we recorded that 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 there was one that I just you know was was skittish about. This is it. Um, then then the factors you talked about before, Purdue, the motivation factor. There is no way they can shield their their players. They're going to know if they're playing for a Big Ten championship on Saturday by the time they line up. That is just a fact. So that is a tough thing to uh, uh, to uh, manage if you're Jeff Brom. We'll see how that goes, but. In the end, it's just there's just there's more things that I trust with Purdue in this game um, above all of this stuff. The one thing I haven't brought up is Indiana's defense, which is which is continues to be poor. Um, Michigan State went right down the field multiple times on Indiana's defense. It's just hard for me to picture a scenario where Purdue's offense doesn't score enough points in order to win this game. I think there's a scenario where they don't score enough points to cover the spread hence it being a rivalry game. So that's basically what I'm looking at there. Is there, an, is that 10 and a half points, uh, uh, too many points for Indiana to, or, for, or excuse me, Purdue to cover. I think it is. I've got Purdue 31, Indiana 24. So that's an Indiana cover. And at 55 points, I got that just going over the game total. 
I do think, and I, I haven't seen, so apologies for my ignorance here. I do think Purdue's offense is going to be in great shape if Devin Mockaby can play because then they got that the pass and the run going. But I have Purdue 34, Indiana 23. So that's a Purdue cover. And at 57, that's also an over. All right. Next game up will be our last one of the day as it goes by the clock. The five and six Michigan State Spartans traveling into Happy Valley to take on the nine and two number 11th ranked Penn State and Indian Lions. Three o'clock p.m. game on FS1. Lion, uh, line Lions by 18 over under 52.5. So Vegas is saying something like a 35 to 17 Nittany Lions win. This is for the land grant trophy, which like, dogs and maybe some babies is so ugly that it's cute <laughs> i think it's just an abomination i love the fact that both penn state and michigan state fans embrace how ugly the trophy is and just yeah. openly make up it it winds up making me like this trophy a little bit anyways getting to the game what are we looking at here i mean i i think penn state is they have gotten better since like every week of the season, they've gotten progressively better. Um, even in that Ohio State game, I think you saw improvement from this team. Um, to me, the, Michigan like, State. Like, here's my question to you: What's gotten better? Is the offense gotten better or the defense gotten better? Yes. Like compared to each other, right? That's that's my whole point. Like, I don't know which yes. one has improved the most: the offense or defense. And I'd almost like to re-see that. Watch that Michigan game again at this point in the season, to, because I think I don't know the the result would be different. I think the game might be a little bit different, though. Um, to, to me, I think again, this is another thing where if you get the ball to your running backs, Katron Allen, um, Nick Singleton, I think I think Penn State's going to be able to do what it's been able to do the past couple of weeks. I think it can run the ball all over Michigan State's defense. Now, the one thing, if I'm a Penn State fan, this is going to sound crazy. I almost wish Michigan State would have won that game against Indiana because then you're bowl eligible. There's really, it's a yes, it's a rivalry game, but there's not much in terms of you know East contendership or trying to get into a bowl game. Michigan State now has a motivation to get to six wins and get to bowl eligibility. So that's that's a factor I'm looking at. But I just don't know how Michigan State's defense is going to be able to slow down this Penn State rushing offense, which, again, I think each week is getting more effective, even better. Those two guys are getting more and more comfortable in this offense. And this is a game where I think Sean Clifford could, could you know, he could go out on top. Yeah, I mean, to try to bring up something about Sparty in this game, you know, they are – this. I was shocked that they they lost that game last week. I think they're shocked that they lost that game last week. How do they recover – from that. I mean, that is the story of this game. How do they recover from that? How much motivation do they have to get to six wins? You know, like, I mean, most players want to see the bowl game, but when you start getting to the six and six, it might be the pinstripe bowl or the yeah. quick lane bowl. I just got to call it how I see it. I don't know how much motivation either one of those bowls brings to the table, getting somewhere warm, you know, getting to that's a little bit different. Maybe I'm looking too deep into that, but that's something I'm looking at. Um, Peyton Thorne is a good quarterback. They've got good receivers. There's things that they can do, but in the end, like the defense just always seems to figure out a way to regress at some point, and it seemed like to do it, they did it again last week. And then flip it over to Penn State. I mean, you said most of it. Like This is appointment TV right now with Penn State. Yeah. When, they're, when they have the ball, they're doing multiple things with multiple guys on their offense. You don't know who's going to carry the ball series to series. You don't know who's going to throw the ball series to series. I mean, they're, this has somehow gelled together really well. And James Franklin, by the way, 
who I believe just got his 100th win. He deserves a lot of credit for keeping this thing on the rails. And it seems like being able to keep all of his players happy, the fans, I think, have come out of their funk. They're happier now. This looks really good. And for me, I just don't know how anybody can break down this game and bet against Penn State right now. They are just playing too hot. I don't know if it's going to get done mostly through the air or through the through the ground probably both and that's pretty much what I'm I'm suggesting here so I got Penn State 38 Michigan State 14 so that's a Penn State cover and at 52 points I got that just going under cuz I'm a little bit nervous on how many points Michigan State's going to be able to put up just as ugly as the land grant trophy if Michigan State wins their sixth game I hope that Mark D'Antonio doesn't break out those stupid ass program win hats do you remember that from a few years ago yes. when they beat Maryland to yes. get to six wins dear god okay I've got Penn State 38 Michigan State 17 so that's <laughs> technically a Michigan State or I'm sorry that's a Penn State cover and at 55 that's an over wow we were close there all right here we go that gets us to the big 10 game of the week called the game Getting 100% of the one vote, that's me, because I didn't even put it out on Twitter because what the hell was the point? We know this is the Big Ten game of the week. The 11-0, number three ranked Michigan Wolverines coming into the horseshoe to take on the 11-0, number two ranked Ohio State Buckeyes, 11 o'clock a.m. game. Of course, it's on Fox. Line bucks by seven and a hook over under 57. So Vegas is saying something like 31-24 to Buckeyes. This is only the fourth time in the storied history of this game where both teams come into it undefeated. Boy, we have got a big one here on Saturday. This is, I'm, God, I love this game so much. Um, <laughs> it's been so good the past so many years in a row. And so um, to have the Big Ten East championship, this is how it should be, right? Like to have the final game of the season, both teams undefeated. You're getting that noon slot. It's going to be cold. It's not going to be quite as magical with the snow as it was last year. But, I mean, the the first point we have to bring up is what's the status of Blake Corum? Because that makes a huge difference in that game. I don't care what anybody says. If he doesn't play – that might be that might be a 14 point swing. I, here's game. my here's my note I have written down. Somebody tell me where there has been a bigger game with a bigger potential player that means something to how the outcome of the game goes that's been played in recent memory. Like I I just can't think of I mean this would be like, you know, one of the great, you know, Super Bowls of the day and Joe Montana's hurt or Troy Aikman's hurt or whatever or something like that. I mean, that is this is as big of a potential injury for Michigan as can be when he went out of that game versus Illinois, the game changed. Now part of that could be everybody was kind of caught off guard. You know, it, it's a bigger deal when it happens in the moment emotionally, but I think even more than that, it's X's and O's. This is still a great Michigan offensive line. Don't get me wrong, but great running backs make lines look even better. And I feel like you saw that. I feel like you saw the playbook and things constrict when Blake Corum went out, I really hope for the sanctity of fandom and, you know, big 10 fandom that Blake Corum can not only play, but look healthy. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's the biggest factor in this game, because I think as much as we talked about Ohio state's defense being improved under Jim Knowles, and I, I do think that that's the case. This is a defense that has also given up some yards on the ground this season. Um, and there have been teams that, that have tested Ohio state, on the ground as well. So I think 
this to me, this looks very similar to what it did last year. And that was if there is kind of one kryptonite for the Ohio State defense and the style of play, it's that Michigan physical rushing attack. But a lot of it obviously goes away if Blake Corm can't play because as good as Michigan's offensive line is, they're going to have some trouble with Ohio State. You need his vision, his speed, his experience to be on the field to create some things offensively. The other aspect of this game, obviously flipping to the other side of the field, man, uh, we've talked about Michigan is who Michigan is and and kind of the same thing we've talked about with, with Maryland this year with Ohio State. At times you've just waited for Ohio State to just let it rip through the air and maybe it just hasn't quite looked the way we're used to seeing with when they had Justin Fields or you know some of those other guys. I don't know that it's going to be the case here. And, and with Mayan Williams out, they I still think Dallin Hayden played really well. Travion Henderson, they're going. I think Michigan's going to be able to take away the passing attack to some degree. I think I think Ohio State's going to have to run the football extremely well against this defense to to get a win. Yeah, I think we're already going down the path of kind of seeing the same game here a little bit. Um, I hate to do this, but there's more injuries to talk about. I mean, looking at Ohio State, they're not getting, they're not coming in this game as healthy as can be. I mean, obviously JSM has been out the the whole year. I think Travion Henderson and Mayan uh, Williams are are iffy at best. I mean, I there it seems to be almost game time decisions. Dallin Hayden is awesome, but. It's a big game, man, for a young kid to be a part of where, where you're going to need the rushing attack. C.J. Stroud is a little bit gimpy in the Maryland game. I think the general thought process is he's going to be okay. Still not done with Michigan uh, injuries. Donovan Edwards held out last week. Luke Schoonmaker held out last week. Another big one that is huge that people may maybe talk about as much as Mike Morris, their linebacker, also gimpy uh, or didn't play last week, I believe. Why is that big? He is the number one sack specialist for this team. He's got roughly 23% of the team sacks on the season. So I think the general thought process is uh, Edward Schoonmaker and Mike Morris were held out last week to get them healthy for this game. Might have played into, you know, why that game was so close. So I'm going to assume those guys are back. I'm not as confident, though, in, in, in Blake Corum. Um, I, so obviously, one of the biggest things in this game is did Ohio State close the gap on physicality from last year's games? Um, I don't care. It, I'm, I'm sure it probably pains Ohio State fans, but that was it. I mean, that was the issue with Ohio State last year. We saw it in Oregon. I think we saw it to a certain degree uh, versus Utah in the Rose Bowl. Physical teams could could move the ball on them. In comes Jim Knowles. There is no doubt in my mind that the front seven has gotten more physical they're more sound in just what they're trying to do. The articles I've read is that Jim Knowles really did simplify this thing down much different than what Jim Knowles had done at previous spots. He very quickly realized because he's a smart, smart man that he did not need to overcomplicate, uh, overcomplicate things. Let his extremely talented front four go at it. Let them be what they are, which is physical freaks pretty much across the board. And that's freed. Tommy Eichenberg up at linebacker to be an absolute tackling machine. So the everything that they've done, you wonder, has it been done to take on this Michigan rushing attack and slow it down? If there is something that we see right from the get-go, which is that Blake Corum is healthy and they are running the ball on Ohio State again, this game takes on a whole different situation, or maybe it's the same situation because that's what we saw last year. Like, 
you could have a good feel for how this game is going to go within the first two or three possessions for each team. Yeah, I think so too. And one of the other aspects of this game, like you just talked about Ohio state's front and they've got 31 sacks this year as a team, pretty much their entire front has three sacks or more this year. What I'm going to be really interested about is if Ohio state can kind of keep that run game in check and JJ McCarthy has to throw. Yes. CJ Stroud will handle Michigan's pressure better than JJ McCarthy will handle Ohio State's pressure. But it does you no good if you're in third and three, third and two, you know, those third and short situations. They have to they have to keep Michigan in third and long or at least third and medium to put some pressure on him. And last year, you can say he's played in this game, but it's a lot different when you're asked to, you know, do a short pass or a uh or, or run with your legs as opposed to being the starting quarterback in this game and being asked to. You know, hey, here's a third and nine. You got to convert against one of the better defenses in the Big Ten. So I think that to in me a big game is, like this, in a big exactly, game like this, with, too. Yeah. With everything riding on it. So that to me, I think that might be an undervalued. I, ultimately, I think the game comes down to, to rushing. But if Ohio State can keep that in check to a degree, I trust CJ Stroud more than I would trust JJ McCarthy. Because yes. I think Ohio State can create a lot of pressure. I mean, it, these two quarterbacks really, when you think about it, are are very much different. Very much different. Um, C.J. Stroud, it, he is freaky accurate, and he wants to stay in the pocket and pick you apart and kill you. J.J. McCarthy wants to get out. He's and you don't see C.J. Stroud run at all to the point where Ohio State fans are getting ticked off and they want to see that element to the offense. Which, by the way, I agree with Ohio State fans on that. Maybe this is the game they see it, where they just say, screw it, what's the point? Let's run Stroud anyways. Um, so we'll see about that. But for the most part, obviously, Stroud wants to stay in the pocket, whereas J.J., his running attack off of the Michigan, you know, rushing attack through the running backs, it's just a gigantic part of their offense. It's got to be a gigantic part and be successful for them to beat Ohio State. With that being said, it's going to happen. You're going to get in third and seven-plus what does JJ McCarthy do in those in those type of scenarios? That could be the whole game right there. If right. if he suddenly comes alive and quite honestly looks quite a bit different than he has, because big games bring out big moments in people. Sometimes you see that stuff. If that happens, this game might flip from what a lot of people think it's going to be. This is conspiracy theory. Me probably thinking way too much about this, but. Last year, I think Ryan Day would agree if you asked him, did he get out coached by Jim Harbaugh? Because Michigan threw in some wrinkles into that, into that, uh, into their offense that I don't think Ohio State was prepared for. I'm going to steal your word here. Methinks, <laughs> methinks Ryan Day has saved a little something in the playbook for this game, knowing that they should be able to beat maybe everybody except for the the opener against Notre Dame and maybe Penn State. They should be able to beat everybody with kind of the basics of what they do. I think you're going to see some stuff there. You might see C.J. Stroud run the ball. You might see some different elements of this game. I'm really curious to see what the offensive playbook looks like because I think Ryan Day took it very personally that they did not win that game last year, being the first guy to lose since 2012. I, I just expect Ohio State's offense to throw in some wrinkles. Whether that works or not, I don't know. But I think you're going to see something a little di bit different, and maybe you hit on it. Maybe it is C.J. Stroud, you know, tucking it and running, not not ten or eleven times, but two or three to keep the defense right. um, off balance. Yeah, um, this is the thing you wonder about in games like this. So I'll just say this: 
how Michigan looked versus Illinois and how Ohio State looks versus look versus Maryland last week. Throw that shit out. It it, it yeah. honestly it has no bearing on this game. You do have to look at the whole you know the whole season and what we've seen. So don't get me wrong, but like this game could have a completely different feel. You could see the focus and X's and O's and guys making plays in game in a game like this that you just haven't seen before. I think that game has the potential. This game has the potential to to, to show that. Which is why, you know, it's one of the reasons why even fans of non, you know, Ohio State, Michigan teams uh, 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 tune in to see this. Heck, even SEC fans might yeah. watch this game. That, that That's how crazy it is. I got one last thing and I'll do my prediction, but you go ahead and go first. What you got here? So I have got uh, Michigan 31, Ohio State 28. So that's obviously a Michigan cover. And at 59, that's an over. I do think. I do think Blake Corm is going to play. I do think so. Okay. Wow. All right. Um, I do think Blake Corum is going to play as well. I am going under the assumption that he is not going to be able to be as dynamic of, of a player as we would have liked to him to see him be in a game like this. By the way, speaking of Thanksgiving, the guy uses NIL money to pass out turkeys to to homeless people again. So I hope he is healthy and can play because I love the kid and I want to see him compete. But to me, there's that's one of the things that I can't get past. I I think there's almost some similarities between Illinois going in to play Michigan last week, where they were down, you know, their best player at, at running back. However, so it it stunted their offense. However, the defense showed out of Illinois to keep this game close. I think that's what we're going to get here. A stunted offense by Michigan because they won't be able to be as dynamic in the rushing attack with a gimpy quorum. And then the other thing is just there is a there is an advantage at quarterback here between um, um, C.J. Stroud and J.J. McCarthy. It is just hard to ignore that. So for me, I've got Ohio State 27, Michigan 21. So I believe this will be a low-scoring game, and that's my Amador double-barrel lock of the week. So I like the under because I feel like these are two underappreciated defenses that got some gimpy players on offense. That's why I think it's going to go under. Here's how it could possibly go over. It's just a freaking amazing game. (laughs) (laughs) And if that's the case, if that's the case, and by the way, it's supposed to rain uh, in the horseshoe. If that's the case, this game will will go way over. I'm predicting a tighter game because basically both teams want to win it so much. I think there's big enough games where because of that, you actually see it tighter. I'm so, I just, I, I wish I had more to add to that, but I, I'm just so fired up for this game. I, you know, it's like one of those things where you know what to expect, but at the same time, you don't know what to expect because I, I think you're right. I think it could go a number of different ways. I can't imagine this game being a not a, a not fun contest. You like the the randomness of college football can be applied with a you know Wednesday night Mac game. Okay, so yeah. the, these things can happen anywhere. Where all of a sudden the game starts and you're like, oh my god, we didn't think Team X was going to be able to run the ball at all, and they're running the ball. Like, and all of a sudden the the entire feeling and tenor of the game completely changes. But when it happens in a game like this, it's just magnified, man. You know, like, let's say Ohio State just comes out running the ball and they're having all kinds of success. Suddenly that just blows your mind. Maybe Michigan picks off 
CJ Stroud, you know, and makes him look uncomfortable right, right from the get go. You never know, like what it what it could be if you start seeing something like this in a game like this. It just has more meaning, so that's why we tune in, man. That's exactly. I love it. All right, you got anything else? Uh, just one more thing. I just want to thank you. While we're on the the topic of Thanksgiving, just want to thank you and Big Kurt for allowing me to be part of this podcast this season. It has been awesome, even though uh, I'm not covering the Big Ten, and maybe my analysis hasn't been quite as as uh, as great as it was. When I was watching the stuff every single day, this has been a blast to do it. I've, I've done my research. I've watched the games, and I really appreciate you and Big Kurt letting me jump in here midweek. It's, it's been an absolute blast. And here, here I was just going to do the typical standard send-off, and then you, you – I mean, it's getting dusty in here, man. Holy cow. Um, I can – even though Kurt's not on this podcast, I can assure you I can speak for him and say me and him are as thankful for you to be on the podcast as you just expressed to us. You, you've been awesome. I've had multiple people reach out and say it's been great having Dustin on during the season, during the middle of the week, so we very much appreciate that as well. And to all of our listeners, we thank you as well. We – would be pointless to do this if we're not getting the download. So we very much appreciate that. Everybody travel very, very safe where you're going for, for Thanksgiving. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm not Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.